You're listening to For the Love of Avocados, a podcast by Mission Produce. With almost four decades of fresh avocado experience, we're here to guac about tips and tricks, avocado farming, marketplace trends, and everything in between. So without further ado, let's get right to it. Hello out there and uh, happy holidays. Welcome to everybody for this latest episode of For the Love of Avocados and For the Love of Ending Food Waste in the Home. I'm your host today, Patrick Cortez, and in this episode, we're going to take a long look at food waste, not necessarily at the store level or how we extend the shelf life of avocados or other produce items, but what happens when you actually buy it and take it home and food waste at the household? That is where there is a serious epidemic, if you will, of, of challenges that face this globe. And frankly, we couldn't think of a better person to bring on for this conversation than Dana Gunders. She is one of, if not the foremost expert when it comes to food waste at the home. She was a senior scientist at the NRDC, the National Resources Defense Council. She is now the founder and executive director for ReFed, which specializes in food waste. Her work has been featured on the likes of CNN and NPR last week tonight with John Oliver. Uh, she obviously has uh, created cookbooks, was author to the, the paper Wasted. And like I said, she definitely is, is one of the foremost voices and experts in this field. So as we get into the holiday season, we thought it would be a, a perfect compliment because I don't know about anybody at home. I, I know that I look around the house and my wife and I at times, we're just appalled when we're done with the family gathering it at what gets left over and then ultimately tossed. It's, it's frankly embarrassing. So with that, let's bring in Dana and begin the conversation. Dana, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Patrick. Thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, of course. And, and I want to start by saying here at Mission Produce and produce in general, and, and really anything that's perishable that is sold, we as companies try to do everything we can to get every single day of shelf life out of our products. Here at Mission, I, I can't tell you the amount of hours we've spent uh, on trying to extend the shelf life through cold chain, through packaging, through technology, whatever the case may be. But I guess in essence, that's really only the tip of the iceberg. And don't get me wrong, what we're doing here is vitally important, right? The more that we can extend the shelf life of produce and meat and poultry and fish and dairy is, is extremely important. But is it safe to say, Dana, as we start this conversation off, that we really need to be shining that flashlight on what goes on after it's been purchased and it's been taken home to the consumer's household. It is, absolutely. I mean, so across the country, about 35% or so of all the food that we have is, is ultimately going uneaten. Of that pie, of that food waste pie, as I'll call it, the largest contributor is households. It's all 330 million of us just scraping our plates and you know, science experiments from our fridge and things like that. So absolutely, I think the biggest nut to crack on this issue is how do we figure out, you know, how can we help people in their homes not waste so much? And, and you know, it, it's, it's tricky, of course, and there is a role for everyone in the supply chain to play, but that certainly is, is a big and, and tricky nut for sure. 
Well, and, and, and I agree with you. you. You you say it's everyone's got a role to play in the supply chain. And in this conversation, we're primarily going to focus on the end of the supply chain. I want to go back to a, a root cause, if you will. I'm a big root cause guy. Is this one of the ills of an opulent society? Is this just what happens whenever we deal with a country of wealth? Or is this just human behavior? In, in your estimation, how have we gotten to this point of 35 per, I mean, that is egregious. Uh, how, how, how do you think we've gotten to the point we're at now when it comes to this topic? I think part of it is it's kind of invisible, right? So, and it's happening in little bits and pieces here and there, you know, in different parts of the supply chain, in different products at different times. So, you know, it's little bits through the course of the year that really add up and we're not seeing it. No one wakes up in the morning saying, hey, I want to waste food today, right? Um, No person or business, but it's just kind of happening um, and we're making those decisions. And to your question about, you know, is it worse here in an opulent society? I think one of the root causes, frankly, is the portion of our budgets that go to food, you know, as much as food prices are increasing right now, and that is very difficult for, you know, certain parts of our population. The reality is that we spend less on food in the US than in any other country in the world as a, as a percent of our budget. And so certainly the, the financial incentives for people to reduce their waste are less so than in other places. Nevertheless, you know, we spend about $500 per person annually. So that's about $2,000 for a family of four on food that we never eat. Mm, God, that's incredible. And then also too, I've seen, you know, numbers where it's a quarter of the water consumed in, in North America, the United States goes into the production of food that is just summarily thrown into a trash can. So when we talk about these numbers and these stats, and you mentioned $500 per person, that speaks volumes, right? But there still is this massive disconnect. You've, you've really spent a lot of time dedicating your work to this. What positives have you seen start to happen? Obviously, this is probably going slower than anybody would want. But are you seeing signs that this is starting to take hold? globally here in the United States to where there's some some optimism as it relates to this issue we're dealing with? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been working on this issue for about 10 years. And 10 years ago, literally nobody was talking about it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was running around my organization saying, hey, we should work on this. But it was not a part of the conversation at all. And when you fast forward to now, today us having this podcast, right? But also- Almost any conversation that is happening right now around the future of food and the future of the food system and where do we need to focus in order to be more sustainable, things like that, you will find, you know, reducing food loss and waste as a key pillar, you know, one of five, one of four, whatever, whatever the framework is. And I think that in itself is, is progress. Beyond that, I mean, we focus on the U.S. And, and our analysis, we came out with a big analysis in February. And we, we looked at, you know, we took about 50 different data sets and tried to wrangle them into a picture of what is happening with food in the U.S. and, and it going to waste. And from that, we found that it appears that from... 2010, we went all the way back to 2010. So from 2010 to about 2016, 
waste quantities were still increasing. But at 2016, they started to level off. And in fact, if you look at it per capita, because the population was still increasing after from 2016 until now, they've actually gone down about 2%. So I think, you know, that is a good picture that that timing Mm -hmm. really coincides with when I started to see companies and others really start to take this issue a little bit more seriously. It's not the 50% that we're going, reduction that we're going for, but at least it is, you know, I consider us past peak waste at this point, if you will. Well, that's positive. I mean, past peak waste means you're at least going in the right direction. And when you extrapolate 2% out to the population and their per capita, I mean, that's, that's nothing to sneeze at. So it's, it's definitely continuing in the right momentum you know, here at Mission, we do a lot of market analytics and category management to help our customer base, you know, increase. Look, we're here to sell avocados. So we're always looking at ways to increase consumption of, of avocados. And one of the tools we use is, is this platform where we can instantly poll consumers. 81% of respondents to a poll we put out said they're somewhat or very concerned about food waste. Now, Frankly, I'm surprised that number's not 100%. Who who looks at that and says, yeah, whatever. If I throw away food, who cares? So 81% of the people said that they are somewhat or very concerned about food waste, but still yet 35% of the food gets thrown away, which leads me to my next thing. And and I like to use me as this because I don't want to call anybody else out except me. I'm, I'm one of these people. I'm concerned and very concerned about food waste. But with three little kids at home working a full-time job and my wife and we're up to our ears and, you know, making sure the house doesn't burn down with one of the children, if, the, if there's anything out of convenience I can do to help reduce food waste, chances are I'm not going to be the best. And I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I'll admit it, right? That's the first step in, in solving a problem. Do you find that to be true with the home consumer is that we like to say things that we know are the right thing to say, make us feel good. But when push comes to shove, if it impacts our daily routine, that's where the resistance may occur. Or is it simply a lack of understanding or realizing the the true impact of, of what's happening? Well, yeah, I I would say it's all of the above, right? So I think that one of the challenges that we face in trying to get people to waste less in their homes is that you have to think about it before you're throwing something out, right? So it's not like by the time you're there, it's too late. And so the, the behaviors that we are trying to promote have to happen before, either when you're shopping or when you're, you know, getting your food home or when you're cooking, when you're planning your meals, but not when you're throwing it out. So just that upstream sort of thinking, I like to talk about it as just food management habits that it's hard to connect that to the waste issue for people, right? Because they're happening at two different times. So that is a challenge. Then there's everything you just mentioned around really, right? What people prioritize is time, convenience, and cost. And for all of those things, some of the behaviors that we want people to do are kind of swimming upstream in, in trying to get people to, you know, maybe spend the time 
to actually cook a meal with what's left over in their fridge rather than just call for takeout because it's Wednesday night and you're exhausted and you can't deal. So I think, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's all of those things. I do, you know, there are some easy steps that I think we can promote as a starter for people. And then, you know, those who are, are more passionate or have more time can, can take on the harder ones as well. Okay, so then Dana, we continue our conversation with Dana Gunders, the executive director of Refed here on For the Love of Avocados and Ending Food Waste at the Home. I need you to be my, my, my food waste therapist. You said there are some, some steps that we can use as starters. What, what are those things that aren't trying to solve the, the world's problems that I can implement, you know, today to really move the needle when it comes to this issue? Yeah. So the, the ideal place to start, let's say is, is in like planning mode. And I know that that can be a four letter word for people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, and I might even be one of those people. So I get it, but the reality is, and we saw this actually a lot with the pandemic. Um, This is a behavior that increased quite a bit during the pandemic is that when you plan your meals, you eat healthier, you save money, you save time, and you also reduce waste. And so there's actually, there are a lot of reasons to do it. And that doesn't mean sitting there with a cookbook for two hours on Sunday, having to like plan extravagant meals. It's like, jot down, let's have like spaghetti on Tuesday and taco night on Wednesday and wait, what do I have in my fridge? You know, it it can take five minutes to the extent people can do that and try to more or less stick with those plans that can have a huge impact. I think it's really important to plan in, be really realistic, right? Plan in those lazy nights that are inevitably going to happen. Like frozen pizza is a totally legitimate thing to have on your plan, on your meal plan for the week, right? (laughs) Um, because we know they sell a lot to somebody's eating, right? So just like admit that and, and, and it's fine. I think where we run into challenges is that people are very aspirational when they're shopping and they're like, oh, I'm going to cook healthy this week. My kids are going to eat more veggies this week. You know, I'm going to try something new. And then you buy, you purchase that way. And then, the, and you get home and the, don't always follow through with that. And when you're shopping, that is where you're really committing to the food. So that is the moment. That's that really important moment to make sure that you actually are going to be able to use the actual food in your basket that week. Yeah. That's kind of a one, that's like one category of things. And also why meal kits, for instance, have a really positive impact on reducing food waste because they're kind of doing all that planning and shopping for you. The second, so that's, you know, that is great behavior. Not all of us can, can implement there. Um, The second is trying to use that, like having this use it up mindset and really thinking about, you know, having a couple standard meals that you make that your family or household enjoy that can use up whatever's in your fridge. So maybe it's a soup or a frittata or stir fry and kind of knowing that on some nights you don't have that plan or your plan is just like, we're going to make whatever we can out of the fridge and use it up and kind of shop your fridge before you go shopping. That can be really helpful as well. Storing food correctly. And actually avocados are one of my favorite examples here because I don't think most people know that avocados, once they're a little bit right and correct, correct me if I'm wrong here, Patrick, but once they're (laughs) a little bit right, they should be put in the fridge because it actually extends that ripe that that moment where they're going to ripe but good to eat. If you don't put it, you, know, you want it out on the counter until it's ripe. But once it's ripe, 
throw it in the fridge and you actually have a few days to use it. Um, and there are a lot of products like that. So really getting to know like what is the proper storage of products can help extend the usable time for you for that product. Yeah, the, the number of times I've told people to put ripe avocados in a fridge and they look at me as if I have no clue what I'm talking about have been numerous. So <laughs> yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I, you know, and back to the meal planning thing, again, call it laziness, call it exhaustion, call it what you will. And it's easy when you say, okay, one night we've got frozen pizza, one night we've got taco night. Okay. What do we want for the other three nights? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, we want to cook this, but the, but we've got two kids that don't lie. Oh, okay. And you know, it's, and then it, and look, that's hashtag first world problems, but by, by Sunday night, it's like, we just don't, but you're right though. If you, if you actually take the time, you save money and you, you eat healthier and you don't waste as much. And, and so I, I think you hit the nail on the head. And, and a lot of that is a shift on in paradigm in terms of, of trying to do that now. And back to our research studies, the, the top three things in the produce section that people are throwing away makes sense. It's highly perishable items. It's leafy greens, it's tomatoes, it's bananas, right? We've all had that experience. You buy a bunch of bananas, they're green, and then they're black the next day. And, and so a lot of that is not I guess is a lot of that as well, not following into retailers and what they do on ads because, and this is me speaking for me, we shop the ad, right? We're a single income house with three kids. The ad comes out on Wednesday. My wife grabs it. We look at it. Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're telling me I can buy two loaves of bread and I get three for a dollar. That's a deal. And then, well, we're not eating five loaves of bread before they, you know, half of them go bad. So how much of it is also, you said, just before you even get to the point of dealing with the leftovers, which you touched on, just appropriately buying what you need and not, and not necessarily going crazy. I know the pandemic affected that with people shopping less, but that seems like if you don't even bring it into the house before you need it or need it in a timely manner, that could solve a lot of the problems. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you see that with like promotions in stores and then also with some of the like club stores, the bulk, bulk size purchasing stores that, you know, what I find so interesting is that five cents will sway someone one way or another when they're in the store, but then they get home and the math goes out the window, right? Because yeah. even if that, that, that bread is cheaper per ounce, if you throw one of the loaves away, it actually wasn't cheaper in the end. And so I absolutely, I think being just really careful and realistic about your purchases. So even if you're not actually planning, at least kind of taking a look in your cart and going, okay, am I actually going to have the time to eat that this week? Right. Or what's my plan? Am I going to freeze it? I'm going to freeze two of those loaves and then it'll be okay. That, that sort of thing. Um, but really kind of taking that realistic lens to your shopping basket is, is pretty critical. Yeah. And then freezing, I mean, freezing to me is like the easiest, the, the magic pause button of food. And I think we vastly underutilize our freezers and we think of them as long-term storage as opposed to a regular part of our rotation. But, you know, we can freeze there's a lot of things you can freeze you don't realize. So milk, for instance, cheese, if you shred it, pasta, uh, pasta sauce. I, that's like my nemesis is pasta sauce because yeah. I always use half the jar right. and um, then the rest goes bad. And you, But you can just pop it in the freezer. And then next time you make pasta, you pop it out. It's, it's like, you know, it could not be easier. But I think so. I think that's one of those really easy steps that people can do as well. 
Oh, I'm going to have to check that out. I never even thought about the idea of freezing milk and cheese, but I'm going to have to Google that after this podcast. That <laughs> definitely sounds intriguing. So the other thing that I found interesting in the data point was, you know, we, we joke a lot about or talk a lot about how avocados are definitely the, the bell of the ball right now when it comes to the produce section. I mean, you can get them anywhere from virtually all fast food places to finest of dining, but still in our data, 19% of, of consumers say that they still throw away an avocado for whatever the reason may be. One fifth of, of people still throw away their avocados, which is, which again, highlights why we do what we try to do to extend the shelf life, you know, of, of this produce. In addition to that, so I guess regardless of the popularity, everywhere in the grocery store is plagued by this effect and takeout in restaurants. I also want to talk a little bit about use by dates, best by dates. I know in the produce section, they were really in vogue because it made the produce manager's jobs significantly easier. If they saw a use by date, it was much easier for them to rotate the display when in reality, that would still be perfectly fine. Yogurt, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've had the conversation. Oh, this yogurt had a Best Buy day of five days ago. Is it still good? Well, it's not a ticking time bomb. There were, you know, best laid plans, right? Good intentions. But is that something also, too, that continues to, to, to plague, you know, us in this problem? Absolutely, it is. You know, and you, you know, you asked about history a little while ago. The history of those dates are that they're they were always meant to indicate freshness, right? As, as people started shopping more in grocery stores and didn't know quite where their food was coming from in the way they did before that, they wanted to know like, well, how do I know how fresh this is? And so those dates are really meant to indicate like when that product is at its top quality. They are not meant to say this product is bad or will make you sick after those dates. So that's, that's kind of, and, and yet, because a lot of people believe that is what they are about, the stores feel pressure to remove product before those dates come up. So you can have product, you know, I mean, yogurt is, is probably one of my favorite examples that yogurt has weeks after right. the on the package and is a very safe product, right? In fact, as long as yogurt looks fine, smells fine and tastes fine, it's okay to eat to the extent that Danone, a huge yogurt manufacturer just started putting on their packages in Europe, a like taste it, smell it, <laughs> kind of um, <laughs> note on the package, right? Um, and yet the grocery store will remove that from the shelf, you know, typically about two days before the date on the package. So yes, absolutely. I think, you know, starting to be comfortable and kind of learn when food really goes bad and, and what those dates really mean is a key step. You know, one thing we're pushing for is legislation that would standardize those dates so that people could see, you know, know that a phrase, if they see Best Buy, then they know it is safe to use all those things. You know, there are a very small handful of products where there is some safety component to how the, the date's being calculated. Typically, my, my, my rule of thumb for those products is they're the products that they tell pregnant women to avoid. So those are the products to be super careful, like deli meats. Right. But for most products, it's not that way. And, and you know, legislation that would actually create actual definitions around this um, could help to really have consumers understand the dates in the end as well. 
Okay, so as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, we are in the throes of the holiday season. We, you know, most of us enjoy the holidays. It means family and gatherings, but then it also means big feasts and leftovers. And we all love leftovers to an extent. But my guess is, uh, and again, I'm just taking a guess, we see an uptick in food waste around the holidays simply for that fact. Uh, What can you tell us uh, about food waste trends during this time of the of the calendar year and then also uh maybe some tips to avoid some of the pitfalls as as we go into the season sure yep definitely a time of a lot of ways typically i mean we'll see what the holidays are this year it'll be interesting but i know you know first of all thanksgiving time i mean our estimates that something like 400 million dollars worth of food go to waste you know through the thanksgiving and holiday period wow so it's it's a huge expense honestly to us as we celebrate and certainly you know takes a toll huge climate impacts and all of that so yeah it's definitely something to be aware of i think you know there's a couple key things that you can do as we approach the holidays One is to really account for all of the things you're serving at a meal. So one of the pitfalls of Thanksgiving or or Christmas dinner is that, you know, you have your big turkey or your ham or whatever it is, and then you have all of these side dishes. So then you go, well, how big a turkey do I need? And, And you say, you look it up and it says three quarters of a pound per person. And so you do that. And then you look up, well, how much, you know, I'm, I, 15 people and you make, you know, yeah, you sort of make the full amount of way more dishes yeah. than typical. And so I think kind of being cognizant of that is really important. Um, and maybe making, you know, like cutting your, your serving estimates by about two thirds for each dish to account for the fact that you have more dishes is one key thing. The second is asking your guests, or, or you're, you yourself being prepared to have containers to send people home with leftovers. Because I do think on these big feasts, people enjoy leftovers for like a day after, <laughs> right? But not five. So um, if everyone has a container and you kind of set this expectation that you're going to, you know, send people home with food, that can really help. Also, people don't feel comfortable asking their hosts to take stuff home. Right. So if, if you're the host, it's kind of up to you to set that, set that tone that like, you know, I insist, right? No, please yeah. take stuff home. It's going to help. And then the third is again, that freezer, right? So you like those leftovers for one day after on day two, put them in the freezer because a month from now, or yep. even two weeks from now, you're going to be excited again. So, um, you know, almost everything we cook during the holidays can be frozen and defrosted later. Yeah. And watch what I'm going to do here. Cause I'm with you. I, I like Thanksgiving leftovers for maybe two days. And then after that, I, I want to move on. That's why we created green Fridays where we can incorporate avocados to spruce up your Thanksgiving leftovers. Just what a brilliant idea. Don't you think Dana, that we've come up with here at mission produce to really uh, <laughs> incorporate our, our core commodity uh, with avocados. I like it. Yeah. avocado, cranberry, turkey sandwich. Bam. <laughs> I think that is a, uh, a big hit. It's going to go viral. We'll, uh, we'll shoot a video and send it all over the social media channels. So when you, when you look at this and I like the idea of setting the expectation, people are going to take things home. Uh, in addition to that, as, as, as we get through this and, and we start to wonder to ourselves, okay, I've identified a problem. 
I know it's something I need to address. It's something I need to, to, to deal with and combat. Is it enough for us to just highlight, like we talked about what's being thrown away? Because as you look forward into the next 10 years, you said that you've been fighting this for 10 years. As you look forward to the next 10 years, what are the things on the horizon for short term that you think we can get as, as some small wins and continue to where that 2% becomes 5% becomes 10% and it snowballs? Yeah. I mean, I think some of the most exciting like progress we're seeing right now is one in that, you know, I'll say in quotes, kind of ugly produce side of things. Um, and, and what I mean by that is any produce that's outside of typical specs that get sent to a grocery store or through, you know, to the, to the restaurants, there is, you know, a variety of different sizes and shapes or level of ripeness or level of sweetness. And we're seeing the alternative markets for those really get bolstered. So I think that's a promising area. Another is in some of the, you know, ability for grocery stores to help to use like big data and and other solutions to help them forecast a little bit better and kind of make the whole process of trying to provide all of the things they provide in the grocery store, you know, but kind of really streamline the forecasting and and fulfillment and some of the the things you don't see, um, but that help them order less in the end. And then another is, um, you know, one thing I'm excited about about right now are these flash sale apps and they're, they exist both in in the restaurant space and in the grocery space where you can sign up and then that allows the grocer or restaurants to right before, you know, you know, right before they're about to put something to donation or, or throw it out that they can kind of send out a flash sale and, you know, Hey, we have, you know, a ton of yogurt right now. It's 50% off. Come get it in the next two hours. And um, those are showing really great results as well. And and that's product that literally is about to go into the trash, though it's perfectly good as we talked about, right. And might even have a, a week or two of shelf life left. So yeah, those are some of the things that I think are exciting right now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that dovetails into my in into my next question as we start to wrap up the conversation here with Dana Gunders. And that is what role will technology play in this? I see so many startups that are trying to combat this. You mentioned those flash sales where those numbers are really exciting on how they're moving the needle. But prior to technology, it was hard to get the immediacy, it was hard to get the word out unless you were physically at the grocery store and saw it. So I mean, it, it, it's almost to me as if we lean into technology more, that might just much that much more quickly uh, and exponentially really help us combat this problem, don't you think? I do think technology has a key role to play. You know, it's not necessarily going to change our planning behavior at home, Patrick, but, um, and, you know, some of those things that are just kind of behavioral we need to address, but certainly there are areas where it's helping. And I think those are, you know, some of the ones we talked about where apps can really help spread the word or help coordinate, you know, whether it's sales or donations, there's a lot happening there. Also, there's things happening in the shelf life space, you know, new types of coatings or um, things that absorb different gases or moisture or can, you know, adjust to temperature that are helping extend the shelf life of products. There's imaging, you know, a lot of things happening with this new ability to basically use imaging to either recognize, you know, what's in the trash bin or actually be able to 
like use technology to see inside. I don't know if you guys do this in like inside an avocado or a strawberry and evaluate, you know, how much life is left so that you can then choose, you know, which goes to the stores that are really close and which goes far away and things like that. Yeah. It's interesting. I was actually just presented with this from a new startup and it's some pretty intriguing stuff we're seeing. And yeah, mission we're, we're trying to be on the forefront of extending the shelf life, both for the retailer and for the consumer to, like I said, do our part at the top of the conversation. And, and then, you know, I, I want to close the conversation with a question I like to ask. And, and outside of the staggering numbers of, of food that gets thrown away, what, what is it, Dana, that keeps you up at night in this space in, in terms of really pressing things as you, as you continue to fight the fight that you're fighting? That's a lot of fight. <laughs> I like to think of it as a, as a journey rather than a fight, but, um, <laughs> you know, right now I think what, and maybe it's the news or I live, um, out in a, in a area of California that's had a lot of fires recently, Patrick. And, and so the, the reality of climate change has been, has been, you know, very real for me and my kids school getting canceled because of it and, and things like that. And, so I think for me, what's what's really, you know, driving me right now on this topic is that producing food takes a lot and getting it to our tables takes even more. Um, you know, our estimate is that the, the greenhouse gas footprint of all the food that goes to waste just within the U.S. is equivalent to that of about 58 million cars worth, mm. to give you a sense. And so I think, you know, having people... I think what really keeps me up right now is that I don't think people really understand how much it takes to get food to their table and what a key part of their kind of overall, you know, presence on this planet and impact on this planet is, is, is actually happening through their food. And so, you know, I think that mindfulness and having people really start to value their food for what it is and what it's worth and everything it takes to get them, you know, and like really kind of increasing that value and connection to me, that's key because in the end, that is what is really going to help us in our homes. It's going to help in our, in our food businesses that we support to really, to, to treat food kind of with, with the respect it deserves and, and therefore try to use it for, for everything we can. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I, I think by and large, produce is cheaper today than it's ever been. It's it's gone from being truly seasonal to 52 weeks a year because of global supply chains, but that's had an impact. And look, politics aside, you know, you can't ignore the impact that we're seeing globally uh with with you know certain aspects of of our climate and again that's politics aside that's just ob- observation and and you hit the nail on the head i say it all the time if if the average consumer knew what it took to to cultivate harvest the care the love uh to make it grow to get yields for a farmer i mean we see it in australia the avocado prices in australia don't make it sustainable to grow so what are they doing they're literally chopping down trees. And, and I don't care who you are or what you believe, nobody should be okay with that. And I think, you know, ultimately we talk about convenience and money and saving money. But if you just look at it at that level, like what's just, what's the right thing to do? What's the right way to live? You know, you, if this were a family member, you wouldn't want to see them struggle like this. So the same should hold true 
across the board for for everything we do throughout because we're all interconnected. And sorry, I got a little philosophical there, but that's really what this is all about, isn't it, Dana? That if if for a second we, we just stepped out of our own shoes and it's hard to do sometimes because life consumes us, that might go a long way in, in helping people have a much broader prospect on the impact they can have in their own little, you know, 900 square foot apartment or 4,000 square foot home. Absolutely. You know, I think again, like the, the act of going to the grocery store has kind of taken away the, um, the, the visibility into everything it takes to, to get that food there. Right. And so I think really trying to connect back with that and think about, as you said, it's the people, the time, right? The love, like there is so much that goes into food. And I think, especially during this, you know, this time, this holiday time, when we're reflecting and thinking about things to be grateful for, you know, we are so lucky in, in this country to have all of that food and, and that whole supply chain, everything, and the, the ease of getting it. And so I think it's, it is important to reflect on that and just kind of, you know, keep that in mind when you're, when you're going about all of your eating and shopping and, you know, sustenance, really. That's extremely well said. And I think a, a perfect way to conclude this episode, Dana Gunders, she's the executive director of uh, ReFed, formerly the NRDC, the foremost expert of food waste uh, at the home level. Dana, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I hope to keep uh, continuing it and, and collaborating with the likes of you and other much smarter people than me as it relates to many things to, to, to try to combat this. So thank you so much for the good work you do. Thank you for, for taking the time to join us. And uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me, Patrick. Take care and have a great holiday season. Thanks, Dana. So that's Dana Gunders. And believe it or not, our 10th episode of For the Love of Avocados, For the Love of Ending Food Waste in the Home. We want you to know your thoughts on today's uh, episode. So please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Write us a review. And I think just as importantly, we want you to join the conversation. Use the hashtag For the Love of Avocados or follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Mission Avocados, because uh, we want to continue this conversation. We don't want it to be a one-off, and, and we want to continue to go on this journey, as Dana put it. Again, thank you for your time today. I am your host, Patrick Cortez, and we will talk to you next month.